probably most of you know, but some of you may not be aware that uh, this is starting tonight as a five-week series on the hindrances. So some of you may know that, or some of you may have just dropped by for the normal Thursday night sit, but that's what it's going to be. Um, And so it'll be the normal format. Let me just give you a little overview of how we're going to do it. It'll be the normal format of starting with a sit. We'll do the half-hour sitting. And then it's going to be a mix of I hope we'll mostly have a lot of rich discussion. There'll also be some talking and teaching. Tonight, of all the nights, will be more weighted towards... I, w- I want to set the sort of the foundation, so I've got certain material I want us to cover tonight to make sure we're all clear about sort of the basics, and um, we'll see how much time there is for discussion. There's going to be some homework for those of you who care to do it. I'll hand out. I've got a couple of handouts here we'll give out in a little while. Um, just like the sitting practice, I would, enc- I would encourage people to take on the homework practice. It's not anything you have to study or learn. It's just some practice to do. Because whatever we learn and um, talk about and study, my opinion of it anyway is that it's really of no use unless it's directly applicable, we can put it into practice. It has a direct effect on the quality of our lives. It it comes down to this idea of um, looking at our lives as really just one constant stream of either wise and skillful action or sometimes not so wise and not so skillful action. Wise and skillful meaning that it's leading towards more freedom and more happiness. Okay. Well, my, my name is Richard Shankman. Um, <laughs> and we could go around, I guess it's a big group, and we'll, I don't know, if we won't take the time tonight to go around to everyone's name. What's that? Hey. Well, what I would say that, you know, the, the real answer about, I don't know if you heard me say he was kind of making a joke, because I know Steve real well. He said, well, you should give some credentials. Why should people listen to you? And I would act, that's, a, that's actually a deep question. Because um, if, you know, the Buddha himself, many of you are familiar with uh, this famous sutta discourse called the Kalama Sutta, where some people are asking the Buddha, so see, <laughs> you didn't realize that, <laughs> but anyway, Asking the Buddha, well, you know, all these different teachers are coming through and they're all saying, well, this is the way it is. This is the truth. I'm this fully enlightened teacher. I know how it is. And all those other teachers, no, no, they don't have it right. And then another teacher would come and say, no, 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 that, that guy, he wasn't right. I'm actually the, the one who's enlightened. It's like this. And they're all saying opposite things, different things. And it's real confusing. How could you know what, which is right? And so I can't quote it exactly, but this sort of the, um, um, the sentiment or the essence of what he was trying to convey was that you don't go by somebody's reputation and you don't go by, you know, just because like he's, he would even say about himself, you know, just because I'm the, he didn't call himself the Buddha, he called himself the Tathagata, referred to himself as the Tathagata. So just because the Tathagata is, you know, no, no, you don't go by that. You don't go by it even... Because you think it sounds good, that's not a good reason, because our minds aren't free, so we don't know what colors our thought process are. And you go with this whole list, he goes, what you really do is you, inv- you, you watch it, someone who's teaching. So we won't have an opportunity to do that, because it's, it's kind of like if you're living with someone and you're around them a lot. But you would really observe them. Are they putting the teachings into practice? Right? How do they live? You um, really uh, investigate their teachings, and you put it into practice and you see what the result is. Kind of, that's the sort of the idea. Now, that's a little tricky because it'd be possible to get on, on a wrong track and you might end up years down the road before you've put it into practice and realize it was actually harmful. So, you know, we're going to be, have some discrimination around it. But in general, and it's, it's a great introduction actually to the um, hindrances that we're going to talk about because the whole idea is... Um, you can see for yourself. It doesn't matter if you know if I don't even know what I'm talking about or not. 
the, the analogy some of you have heard me use is the clothes shopping analogy, but it's great. So when you go, I'm not much of a clothes shopper myself, but for those of you who are, you know, you're shopping for clothes, and so you're there, and there's the rack, and all the clothes are hanging there. So if something looks interesting, you take it off, you try it on, how's it fit, how's it look? If you like it, you keep it. If you don't like it, no big deal. Stick it back on the rack and just keep moving along. It's the same thing for this. Is it, is it helpful, is it wise and skillful as applied into one's life towards leading us towards freedom, liberation, more happiness, whatever we may have in mind that we want? If so, you keep it, you use it, apply it. And we're going to get to do that over this and, and four more sessions over the next these weeks. Actually, that's why you do the homework. Look to see. We're actually going to take the Buddha's exact advice on the Kalama Sutta. But to answer the question really is that, um, yeah, I'm just, I think if you're around long enough, you tend to bubble up. And <laughs> so Gil invited me and asked me to do this series on the uh, on the five hindrances. I live in Santa Cruz, and and I teach around here and there in the in the Bay Area, and I've been meditating for a while. So that's the answer. Okay, so let's see, I got sidetracked. So what we're going to do is, it's going to be a mix of, there's going to be some talks, like some teaching, discussion, practice. Uh, next week, um, I'm planning to actually bring, a, it's not going to be a sutta study evening, but we'll take a little bit of the time, I don't want to take too much of it, and actually bring some of the suttas and, we, uh, and actually look at the original discourses and how they talked about uh, how these teachings were actually passed down in these original discourses and scriptures. So we don't get to look at some. You can have them. Some of you may be familiar with with those scriptures, the earliest uh, uh, Pali um, suttas, and some of you may not. So that'll be kind of interesting just to look. And there it is, right there, where there's the Buddha talking. So, uh, so we'll just do a mix of a lot of things. Okay. So any any question about that or comment? So tonight I wanted to do kind of an overview of just what are these things we call the hindrances, and we'll actually talk about them to an overview. Uh, next week, then, I'm hoping we'll start to actually then go, since we've done some homework and we'll have some discussion, we'll actually start going into them one or two each night for the remaining four and really go into them deeper. That's what we'll do, okay. So if, um, if you're around long enough in the meditation world and the Buddhist world, it doesn't take long before you hear the basic, say, meditation instructions, right? We start working with the breath and we develop a little concentration or we try to, and we develop mindfulness. In the service of, as skillful means, wise and skillful action, of learning uh, to let go or to not cling to anything, right? We talk about not clinging, right? The first noble truth is that there's this unsatisfactoriness or suffering. The cause of it is, is clinging to things. And then this, uh, that's the second noble truth, is that the cause of the clinging is uh, desire. That's one of the hindrances we'll get to in a minute. And that there's an end of that. There's a freedom from that grasping and clinging. It's a really, you know, just conceptually it's quite simple. There's quite a bit contained in that. The idea being, we could do a whole day talking about not clinging and what it means about the teachings of emptiness and not self and all that stuff. But the idea is, is that anytime we cling to anything, we identify anything as a sort of fixed sense of who we think we are, it's a setup for suffering. That's all. It doesn't mean we're necessarily going to suffering, but it's setting the seeds of condition, the conditions for suffering. Right? So as we let go of clinging to any fixed thing that we have to be or any fixed way life has to be, we're just more open. If you want one way to think of it, it's just a more harmonious openness to the natural expression of just life as it is without us getting in the way. Right? And we're just more in harmony, in flow with life. It's kind of one way to think about it. Or maybe on one level. 
And so that's why often the meditation instructions of mindfulness are whatever is predominant in awareness, we just meet it with mindfulness. And there's no judging about what the experience is. We're not saying, oh, I can only have these experiences and they're okay to arise, but these experiences are not okay to arise. We're saying that whatever the experiences is, that we're not... We're not looking to the experience to be any set way. In pleasant or unpleasant doesn't matter. We're just finding a freedom that's contained in the midst of any experience. So it's more about our relationship with the experience. So if that's true, why do we take, select certain range of experiences and put this label of hindrances on them? Right? Because we're going to go through this list. There's these five hindrances. I'm going to give you a handout. We're going to talk about them. There's certain experiences or certain mind states they were giving a special category. We call them hindrances. That's kind of not good, right? All of a sudden, wait a minute. That's, that's kind of a disconnect from when we're saying fully just open to whatever is present in the moment without a judgment. So there's kind of a difference there, right? So we're going to talk about that a little more. I just wanted to kind of put that out. It's something to be aware of. So if the teaching is about, you know, the Buddha summarized his teaching in one sentence. He said, nothing should be clung to as I, me, or mine. And he goes on to say, one who knows that, you know, knows the whole Dharma. And by knowing the Dharma, one's fully liberated. And he goes on and on like that. Very simple. A lot contained in that, but it's kind of simple. So that's it. Don't cling. No big deal. But if we say don't cling, obviously we can't do it, right? You can do it in a moment. But once the right conditions come together, we'll be hooked right in. And we're lost. We label certain states of the mind and the heart hindrances because those are the mind states that tend to hook us. That's the problem with them. It's where we tend to really contract around them, get identified with them, get caught in them suffering. That's the idea. So we want to pay special attention there, even though ultimately we can say whatever, they're empty, they're not self, it's just a changing flow of experience, not to be... But we have to look there because that's what keeps us from seeing that. So... Um, and um, let me see here. So what I want to do is I'd like to hand out the first of the two sheets. I'll hand out the um, I'll hand out the homework sheet separately. But let me just hand this sheet around. I made 40 copies. I didn't have any idea how many be there. I thought that'd be a lot extra. And I counted exactly 40 people. It just, I think, happened to work out. So we'll see. And if, if we're short, then I'll make more for next time. And you can just, you know, if you would just <coughs> share. Um, but I want to keep one. So that's 39. <coughs> Does anyone not have a sheet? So we actually had some extra? Okay. So we had one extra. Two extra. Did you get one for yourself? Do you want, do you want one? Okay. Oh, so we had a few extra. Great. Great. So what I did on this sheet was, so you'll notice I put some poly names on here. Uh, 
the poly is not important at all. It doesn't matter, but I put it in there because some people do like to know that. And I've actually, my experience has been, so, so, so the poly was the language that this particular set of these suttas, these discourses were preserved in. So it's been around for several thousand years. So some people like to know that a little bit just to kind of connect them to the tradition. That's fine. I've found that for some people it's actually a turnoff to put the some aversion, the second hindrance actually comes up for them when they see the poly. And so, uh, <laughs> but if that's true, just forget about the poly. It's like that clothes shopping thing. It's just not for you and it's no problem, okay? Don't worry about it. But it's there just for people who would like it. Um, And if anybody's interested offline, uh, there's on the pronunciation. We'll, we, I could show you a couple, a few simple things on the Pali pronunciation um, another time. So the first, what I've done here is on this list, there are these five hindrances. So let me just list what they are. The first one, in, in the sort of the classical list, it says sense desire. And that's this word, kamachandra. Chanda, the come as the sense, but it's desire, it's qualities. Just, you know, you could substitute greed, uh, grasping, clinging, wanting. I put underneath over on the other side craving, which is the tanha. It's holding on to things, right? Wanting. That's the first hindrance. The second one is the opposite. The first one is actually pulling something towards us, wanting to hold on to it. It's the sense is this motion pulling towards me. The second one is the opposite. It's a pushing away. There's an experience that I don't want to experience. So they call it ill will, aversion, hate. Okay. Uh, the third one is what's uh, traditionally called sloth and torpor. And in the Pali here, the uh, tinha midha is actually the opposite. The tinha is the torpor and the midha is the sloth, but that's just how they list it. But sloth and torpor is, uh, well, you can see under the qualities of it, heaviness, dullness, sleepiness. Um, I think there's probably not a, a meditator alive who doesn't know that one, you know, in meditation, right? The mind is just dull or you're falling asleep. You just can't focus. It's just, it feels like a thick blanket just over your mind, sloth and torpor. And then the opposite of that one is restlessness, where there's too much energy. And that's the one when you're, say, for example, and these aren't just in meditation, they're in life. But say you're sitting in meditation, and you don't think you can sit there another moment. You're going to jump out of your skin. Okay. You don't have to make too big of a deal about it. It's just a hindrance arising. It's just restlessness. Remorse is kind of connected into, that's this other word, um, kukucha, C has a CH sound, even if, uh, in Pali. Um, because remorse can be a thing that can stir us up. We'll get into this more about some of the things that can fuel us. Sometimes if we've got a lot of energy, and maybe there's something going on underneath it that's on the mind. Oh, that person said this to me today, and I shouldn't have. It's, we can think of it as uh, remorse might be kind of a, it's a generic term. So that can fuel a lot of energy and restlessness. And there's things stirring up the mind, okay? And then the fifth one is doubt. Uh, doubt will, that's the last one we're going to talk about in, in the last, in the fifth Thursday. We'll really spend some time on that one because that's really insidious. <laughs> so those are the five hindrances. Um, Now, if we look down below, I'll just uh, don't worry about the antidote side. We're going to get over that and talk about that in a little bit. Under the simile, there is a sutta that we'll just take a brief look at next week. And I just thought it was interesting that, 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 that they, they, they uh, it gives a flavor of the hindrance. So the, for the desire... The craving, the clinging, that, that first simile, 
it's, 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 it's the image is if you want to see your reflection in a, in a pool of water that's just still, perfectly still. You can look and see your reflection very clearly. Or another image is if I want to see to the bottom, if the water is just clear and still. So if we want to see things clearly, if we want to see the places where we're getting caught, where we're identified, where suffering's arising, right? The word vipassana is traditionally, we, we tend to translate it as clear, to see clearly. The pasana comes from the Pali verb pasati, which means to see. The vi actually has the, I don't really know the etymology, but um, Andy Olinsky, some of you know him, he's a Pali scholar. He says it's kind of like, it's a pulling apart. The image is if you've got these weeds and you want to see to the ground and you put your hands together and you plunge your hands down through the weeds and then push them apart, you can see to the ground. It's that pulling apart to be able to see deeply into something. That's the vipassana, to look deeply into the nature of ourselves and the nature of reality. And when we can see things clearly, what's really going on, we're not caught up into in the surface appearance of things, and we're not caught in, in illusion or delusion. That's another way that things get talked about. So we're trying to see clearly. So the image is that pond then to see clearly. So, once again, the hindrances are these energies or mind states where we, it tends to cloud over. Right? So, um, that desire is likened to the water being mixed with all different colors. We, it colors our perceptions of things, you know. So, there might be someone we look at and we really have a lot of interest or attraction. It, like, colors our entire attitudes, our, our, it just everything has changed. Our relationship with them, that person might change. It's colored everything. Someone else that we don't have an attraction to, maybe it's, it hasn't, we're just kind of neutral. Maybe it hasn't added. So it's just kind of a way they talk about it. It's like it's, like it's colored everything. The aversion is like boiling water. You still can't see your reflection or see to the bottom, but it's different. And that, I have this, it's like if I'm boiling with anger. Just the energy's coming up. It's hot. It's painful. Okay. The sloth and torpor, not this one I really like. It's like water covered with moss. Right? I, that's exactly, it's just, it's just thick. It's, 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 yeah. Or it could be like the water filled with algae and just mucky. There's no clarity. The restlessness is like water agitated by wind. So if a wind blows across the surface, it's like too much energy and makes a ripple. It's all agitated. And then, you know, it makes sense. And then the doubt is like muddy water. We just don't see things. Right? It, 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 it will get a lot more into this doubt, but it... it uh, our, the actual quality of our seeing has been... Maybe we can talk about it a little more if we want. If we want. But uh, an example I have is um, I remember being, this has happened to me more than once on retreat. It was near the beginning of the retreat and I hadn't really settled down deeply. And then I really had this just deep, everything was going fine. I was meditating. Oh, and I remember that's right. I was in this place back east and these geese flew over. And they were kind of just had this this longing, echoey, haunting, honking sound that they would make as they're flying off into the distance, these geese. And I kind of got in this wistful space. And the next thing I know, that kind of turned into this longing. And then I got into this loneliness. It just kept spiraling down, down, down. And before long, I was just in this despair and depression. And I was in a long retreat. I did, you know, no... I wasn't going to be getting out of there anytime soon, and there was nobody to talk to. And I just was so, you know, you know, an hour ago it was great. Now just this this mind state arose, and it colored my whole perception. And, and the thoughts were, you know, I'm nothing, my life is nothing, I'm nobody, no one would love. It's just all that stuff started coming, and it was in the moment. It's real. It's like it's there's mud. It's colored over the, the perception of everything. And so you see it through that lens of doubt. This meditation, what's it good for? Nothing's, you know, my life is hopeless. 
is really, it was just you're in this pit of despair, just to give an example, right? It was painful. Right? Over time, you know, it took some time, it was a few hours, and it was, you know, suffering and everything, and then it, it changed. And later on that night and the next day, and I was fine. It didn't seem hopeless. Well, you know, everything was great. What, which one of those was real? You know, it's not real or not real. It's just that was the experience then. Then it was this experience. In that moment, it feels real. We're in it. We don't see clearly. So when we're caught in it, we're identified with it, we suffer. So we'll learn the ways we're going to talk about. Well, how do we work with these hindrances then? What are the ways to work with? So let me just stop for a moment. That's just a quick overview. Any thoughts or comments or questions? Well, I would put confusion uh, under doubt. You know, it's just another... There's a lot of different ways, but confusion, would, could, you could call it doubt. It would fall into that broad category. Uh, yeah, so doubt, you know, these are generic terms. They cover a lot. So, for example, the first one of sense desire, you know, we use these very strong... Uh, words, it's like sense desire. Gosh, it just sounds so strong and like greed, you know, that's such a strong word. But, you know, it also includes just the minor things of, of any, there's very subtle versions of it too. And they may not be a problem because they're not very strong, so it may not be a big deal, but it's even a slight wanting. If we're caught in it, it's a hindrance. So confusion would be an interesting one to talk about. Uh, we have to look like what's in the confusion. If, if we're really not, if we're not, if we're confused, let's see, um, well, we're not seeing clearly. We don't know which way to go. Uh, we're just kind of stuck, right? That's the feeling I get when I use the word confusion. I, I don't know. You may have other feeling about it. Okay, but maybe that'll be something good that's for us to. Yeah. So I'm hoping we can maybe then we'll have some more discussion. If you care to later, you uh, feel free to bring it up, and, uh, and we can play with it and explore some of these things. And then the question is, when we're in confusion, what do we do? Right. What can we do? How do we approach it? Okay. We're going to get into specific strategies later on. Today I'm going to lay out just some generic strategies that we can talk about. Yeah. Um, in working with the hindrances, if I apply them to my meditation practice, uh, then I, I sort of think of them one way. But I sort of get the feeling that you're saying that these are hindrances to just sort of our daily life throughout the day. And and I'd like to have some ideas on yeah, yeah. I'm not drawing a distinction between the meditation practice. They are. So life is. There is a distinction between meditation practice. It's very specialized, right? In our normal daily life, we're not sitting there with our eyes closed, or if you do, it, you know, styles with your eyes open. And it's a very special practice. But it's just a moment of experience, mm-hmm. just like life. Each moment is just a moment of living and being. It just happens when we meditate. It's a life. It's a moment of moment and being that looks a certain way. You know, you're sitting a certain way, and do, right? So um, now we, there's reasons why we want to take specialized time because in order to develop the qualities of mind, we need to see clearly, and in order to develop the qualities of mind, so we're not so hooked by these uh, difficult mind states, we do need to develop a certain amount of stability of mind and mindfulness, and so we want to cultivate that. It's just like when we go to the gym to work out. You know, when you're walking around in the day, you're using your muscles. But we want to specifically really work on them, so we do special exercises. Here we're working on the mind, we do special exercises. So in that sense, there's a difference between daily life and meditation. Of course, that's true. But in a broader sense, um, I'm just lumping them all together as just life. So that would apply to meditation practice. All of this applies, anything that applies to meditation practice applies to any other time. Right? That's how I would say it. Does that, 
Is that what do you think? Well, <laughs> does, that, does that satisfy you? Or? Not quite. Uh, <laughs> um, but maybe you'll answer it in the next. Yeah. Well. Well. What, what do you yes, think? But, yeah. Go ahead. But the things I'm thinking about are, I'll give you examples. And in that, uh, I may have doubts about something about my profession, about mm-hmm. um, you know some interaction with a person, right. and. Um, then it sort of has to gel in my mind. Mm-hmm. It's not a big issue for me. Right. Um, um, but somehow it'll work out. <laughs> but in my spiritual practice, then um, then I can see these support, inspiration, faith, and mm-hmm. karma yeah. are very appropriate. Right, right, right. I understand. So, so I don't I don't understand how to apply. Maybe maybe faith and dharma is something I should apply all day long. Well, that could, that's true, too. I don't know. What to, but and then the second example would be on sloth and torpor was, mm-hmm. you know, if I take a nap on Sunday afternoon and I sleep a little bit longer than I'm supposed to, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to really feel heavy, dull, mm-hmm. and I'm going to have to develop some energy some way, and it usually takes a half an hour, an hour. So I don't think that that's a very difficult state. I right. know it's going to happen, and okay. But if I'm in, in a meditation situation and I start developing that, then I'm just going to be nodding off. Right. It's going to be very uncomfortable. Yes. It's going to be very painful, and I'm going to suffer a lot. Right. So there's a distinction. I understand. <laughs> yes, that's a great distinction. Thank you for bringing that up because you point to something that's very important. So um, I, w- I would like to propose that this isn't like I don't think it's an official Dharma teaching anywhere. It's just me saying this. All right. So I'm just that's the caveat here. I would like to propose that all of the Buddhist teachings, all the practices, the entire path is only about skillfulness. It's all summed up in what's wise and skillful. That's all we need to know. And we need to know a little more than that. Sometimes, you know, it's, what does that really mean and how do we apply it? Yeah. But um, you could summarize it in that way. Um, here we are. We li- we are alive. We exist. We're in this thing called the human condition. So moment by moment, what are we going to do? Each moment, we're going to do something. We're going to think something. We're going to say something. We're going to do something. So it's all about what's wise and skillful. And what's wonderful about that is then there's no right or correct action that we can give as a general rule in every situation. It totally depends upon the specific situation, who we are, what we bring to the situation, what is needed. That's the reason that the Buddha taught many, many practices. And it's the reason also why when people would come to the Buddha, sometimes he would, maybe you asked a question. Sometimes the Buddha would answer, just give a direct answer. Sometimes he would just refuse to answer. Sometimes he would just say, well, you should go off and do whatever you, you think is right. So he didn't have a fixed doctrine. He was trying to, in that moment, for that person, for that situation, give what he thought was wise and skillful and helpful. So it's the same thing in our lives. So th- the way to take this, this teachings on the hindrances is if it's not a problem and if it's not a big deal, well, then that's not the time to be thinking about the hindrances. We'll be thinking, we'll be dealing with something else. So, for example, if we're taking a Sunday afternoon and whatever, and, you know, it's Sunday, I'm sleeping in, I'm going to sleep later, I know it's going to make me tired, but so what? I can hang out on the couch, I can watch the game, I can do whatever, I don't know, whatever you do. Go. It's not a problem. We're not suffering in that moment uh, we may not need to deal with, I don't know. Or it, if you're at work... You're using this word doubt. I'm making a dis- I am making a distinction, or the teachings make a distinction between what you might call discrimination and maybe having to get clear about something. So someone said something, and you're not sure if it's the right course of action, or I'm not sure exactly what you're referring to, but it could be you know anything like that. Is this right? Well, I'm not sure you need to go through a process to figure it out. I guess you could call that a doubt. But it's just a process of getting clear and everything. That, to me, is different than sort of a, our, a deep personal doubt that undermines our ability to function as human beings or undermines even our faith that is this practice going to work. It, it's, it paralyzes. This kind of doubt gets us more into confusion, 
indecision. We don't know what to do. It just cuts the legs out from under everything. It's, a diff- it's different than... So, so then in that situation, we need to approach it differently. So actually... Does, is, what do you, is that okay? Yeah. That actually brings me then to how do we work with the hindrances? Or let me just say this. How do we work with these experiences? I don't want to call them hindrances. There's just these experiences that arise. They're not always a hindrance. Right? Is restlessness always a hindrance? If you've ever sat in meditation with strong restlessness, I mean really like a, a, a real attack of restlessness, it's pretty. It's hard to do. I've sat down to meditation sometimes and it wasn't even a decision. Next thing I know, my body's just, just up and got up and is moving. It was just so impelled by so much force. So restlessness is strong. It's not necessarily a hindrance. Right? It could be a hindrance or it could just be an unpleasant sensation arising. We don't view it as a hindrance. Right? So maybe we, these, this list is called the hindrances, but I would say that the qualities on here uh, move in and out of, of actually being hindrances, really. We're going to talk about That's what we're going to get to in just a minute. Yes? Yeah. No. Okay. It's just a list. Yeah. Right. So, so it's just a list. And it's five different kinds of qualities. There could be other qualities maybe that don't map onto this, possibly. That's fine. So this is not meant to say that every difficulty you've ever had in your life could fit in this. Although, although, well, let me just give it a shot at something here. I would propose that, well, first of all, one, if any experience that we can take, one of the qualities that's ascribed to it in this teaching is, is that, uh, that, they could, that any, there's an experience, and then it can either have, it can either have a pleasant, unpleasant, or a neutral quality to it. There's the experience itself. And then there's the pleasantness itself. Or there's the experience and the unpleasant. Or sometimes it can be a neutralness, right? I would, you know, maybe someone's got something else to say, but I would, I'm suggesting that they're pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, which is different than desire and ill will. We're going to get to that in a second. But the pleasant, unpleasant, and neutralness itself, there's no experience that, doesn't have one of those kinds of qualities about it. It's either pleasant or it's unpleasant or it's neither one of those two. It's neutral. There could be another thing, but, you know, we could, you know, think about it. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to make a bold statement here that that's true. No experience that's not either pleasant. Sometimes it's subtle and we can't tell. Then maybe it's kind of neutral. Okay. So... And, and by the way, um, you don't have to agree or disagree. I'm just putting that out there. I just want to sort of put that and let it sit there for a minute. And as, it, as this cooks, because this is all going to cook, and maybe tonight or in a week or a couple of weeks we come back, and if we're cooking, then maybe something great will come up and we'll have discussions and people, somebody might say, no, that's ridiculous. And we'll get it. That'd be great, actually. I don't mean to be looking over to you when I'm saying this. I was just looking around. But really, as we, as we're going to kick this around, and that's, that's the point. Okay, let's just say that's true, and it is true. <laughs> that's all right. Where we get hooked is because the way we tend to live our lives is, many of us, most of us, most of the time is, what is it that we want? Our lives are set up to, to be happy. We want more of the pleasant and less of the unpleasant, right? 
whatever that means, whether it's physical sensations, experiences, thoughts, mind states, feelings, like I'd like to feel happy or to feel good. I don't want to feel bad. Feeling bad is unpleasant, whatever that means. So what happens is if we, it's, if we can just be present mindfully with, say, I'm sitting in meditation, say there's knee pain, it's unpleasant. If I can notice it, I can still be actually quite free. I can lose the pain itself. There's the unpleasantness. doesn't mean I'm hooked, necessarily. Still not a problem. When I'm hooked into this, it becomes a hindrance when the aversion kicks in. Because when things get really strongly unpleasant, we get in aversion to the unpleasant. And conversely, if it gets very pleasant, so for example, tonight, I just happened to be having a very pleasant meditation. I was kind of getting into it, and it was like I just didn't, I kind of didn't want to stop. I was looking at the, and I actually did have a little clinging. I wanted to take one more breath. I was just having a real nice meditation, one more of those, you know. And so I was kind of, it wasn't that big of a deal, but a little bit, I was kind of clinging to it. Wasn't that strong, so I didn't suffer that much. There was the breath. There was a kind of pleasantness to it, and then I was clinging on to that pleasantness. I wanted a little more. That's when they turn over into hindrances, right? So the reason we start labeling these things as hindrances is for this exact reason: we want to start noticing when we get hooked in the experience, when we're not able to be free. And it's not about the experience, it's about whether we can be free with it. And any experience, and by the way, there's not a should. We're not saying you should be free. You should be mindful. No should. There's never any should in any of this stuff. It's great. We just want to acknowledge that when we're hooked, we suffer. And we need a lot of compassion. It's not a should. We just got caught in that time. We weren't able to be present with it. We got caught. The, we're in aversion now. Okay. So we could all make extreme examples of, like, let's just take the first one, sense desire here. I want, we want to look at it in the more extreme cases because that's when we tend to get hooked. Right? If it's just like, boy, that chocolate chip cookie looks pretty good and you want it, that's a little wanting. Maybe it's no big deal. You eat it, you don't eat it, whatever. We really get strong when we get into more desire and craving. We all can experience the times when we haven't. We can't get what we want. We're desiring it. We're craving it. We want more. We're holding on. It's unpleasant. Right? It's suffering. Same thing if there's something difficult going on, if we're in aversion. It's the aversion itself that's causing the suffering. It's not the experience. It's the inability to be present with the experience. It's that's aversion. That's when we're suffering. So we can always look to see if there's suffering. We don't have to look. I mean, we know when we're suffering. The problem is we get in an automatic reaction. When there's suffering, rather than seeing it as a friend... Just like a good friend would come up and, you know, put their hand on her shoulder and say, you know, hey, Richard, I just want to point out, like, um, I think you're kind of whatever and kind of steer me in the right direction because I think you're heading down, you know, that's not so good. Maybe you want to do this. That's all suffering is. It's just telling us that somewhere there's some grasping and clinging or there's some aversion. There's some experience that we're not able to be with in a free way. We got hooked somehow, so we're suffering, right? If you have, whatever, I don't know, a broken leg, just make up some example. If you don't think it's supposed to be any other way than it is, it's not a problem. I mean, that sounds a little, I guess that's not such a good example. But I mean, really, it is true, right? If you don't think it's supposed to be any other way. Can you talk about the opposite of actually clinging to suffering? Which would be? Uh Well, not clinging to suffering, you mean uh, clinging to experience? Well, go ahead. Just explain. I'm sorry. Right, but some people create suffering uh, 
uh, you know, it could be just an unconscious pattern that's not seen. So we're just, it's like anything when we're not, that's why we do mindfulness practice. If we're not, if we're aware of something, we have a chance of freedom. If we're not aware, we're just at the effect. We don't even see what's going on. We're just living unconsciously and it's just playing out like a, just a machine. It's a, so just um, not comfortable with the change, almost like. That's clinging, so right? Clinging. Because of the change. Well, it's not, well. Yeah, I'm still not clear exactly. Did you say if people aren't comfortable with change? I'm saying that even if they have an aversion to the suffering, mm-hmm. that they still choose it, sometimes even knowing that there's oh, a choice. Because are you saying, I just want to make sure I understand, are you saying, like, for example, sometimes, like, I'll just, here's an example. I've had times in my life where I've been in a particular job or a career that I was pretty miserable and I stayed in that unpleasantness because there was some fear about making a change, like I might move. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Right. But then we're, we're, there's a few things going on. There is um, just unpleasant. Well, the job is just the job. I mean, unpleasant is totally in my mind, but um, that's a whole other thing. But so I'm, there's the difficulty suffering around the job. There's the wanting to get away. There's aversion to that situation. There's fear. I may not be aware of it. There's some fear. There's something that that staying. There's whatever I think might happen. That fear is more unpleasant than this unpleasantness, right? So you know, and it's all just driving me. So there's just a lot of different levels. I'm still caught. Maybe there's some clinging to security. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. We all want to be secure. So you've got a lot of things going on at once. Yeah. Maybe we're having a multiple, you know, there is such a thing, people kind of make a joke, but it's called, it is a multiple hindrance attack. <laughs> That's when it gets bad, where you get like several of these at once. So a perfect example is, so example is, like I'll just take about a meditation. So I've had meditation before where maybe you're on retreat and you've been sitting for a long time and you've really kind of gone deep and you're maybe you're blissed out or something like that. So... That was that sitting. It was just wonderful. You're like, all these experiences are coming. It's fantastic. A lot of you experience that stuff yourself. I get up from the sitting. I do walking practice. I come back. The very next sitting, I'm just in hell. Where did that go? So first I'm clinging because I'm trying to get back. Instead of being here with this, first I'm clinging on, holding on, trying to hold on and get back to that other experience, so I'm clinging. I'm in aversion to sitting here now with sloth and torpor, so I'm also having the sloth and torpor itself, which is a hindrance, and I'm in aversion to it, so I'm kind of in clinging and I'm in aversion, and you know, so you have kind of a multiple attack, and that's when you're just really suffering. Yeah. And is the like undeserving that you fall into, like the doubt? Yeah, so maybe. Yeah. So, um, you know, you can have more of these at once. And as I said, we're going to go down into these more, but I just want to kind of give the idea that it's... It, here's another way to think about it. It's, it's sort of a... Some people think it's kind of silly, but I think it kind of works. That if you think of your, yourself or think of the mind as being very just stable, clear, still. When I say still, everything's still going on but you're not getting jerked around by it, and there's just kind of a stillness, right? Just resting deep within yourself, free, right? And then the hindrances come when that, when, when the mind is, act, not when th- the experience, it doesn't matter what the experience is, but when the mind gets hooked in and is jerked around. So if I'm pulled out towards something and it really has got me, or when I'm pulling away from something, there's this movement, it's tricking around. Or if I'm going up, it's like it's restless, or I'm pushing, shoved down, it's sloth and torpor. So I'm being moved in these directions. Right? It's taken me off my center. And then doubt. So uh, I don't know what you all think about that, because I think, I hope people will, you know, some of you will. May or not may or may not come for all of these, but um, you know we're going to talk about more and have more discussion time.
I want to look over here where it says antidote. And let me just put this part out, and then we'll kind of end it. For, uh, we're going to get into those antidotes. But basically, the way we work with a hindrance, remember, it's all about what's skillful, what's needed in the moment. There's no one approach. Sometimes what's needed when, when a hindrance arises, there's no antidote. We just need to observe it mindfully. It's possible to have, say, for example, um, something unpleasant arising in experience and have aversion to it and be perfectly mindful of the unpleasantness and to, to see the aversion arising. And so we might work with it mindfully. We don't try to make it go away, the hindrance. We don't try to make the experience go away. We don't try to make the unpleasantness go away. And we don't try to make the aversion go away. And we just bring our mindfulness and get to know it. What does it feel like? You know? And just can I be free in the, you know, and, and happy in the midst of this? If it gets too strong and we're not able to do that, then we take a different approach, and then we want to take an antidote. Right? Every experience, I don't want to get into this too much. I don't know if any of you come on the Sundays, but uh, uh, I happen to be sitting in the, for Gil this Sunday, and one of the things I'm going to talk about is, so I don't want to repeat if they're going to come, you get the same thing, but it's going to get into this idea of, you know, if experience, we all have an ex- a line. And whatever the experience is, if it's crossed the line, it's too much. We can't work with it. We just can't. If it's on this side of the line, we can work with it. Right? And the line moves and changes. Day by day, over time. Right? If the pain's too strong, it's not about being mindfully present with it. We've got to like alleviate the pain. We cannot work with it. So it's the same thing in working with his hindrances, and that's kind of pointing to what we're going to get into. It's really the art of knowing, you know, well, you know, well, where's the line? It's not a crisp line, it's fuzzy. And the closer we get to it, sometimes the harder it is to tell. But certainly getting to know these states of the mind and heart very well so that they don't run us and so that we can know when we're on this side of the line and we can make some choice, whatever the choice is, whatever the choice is. And we're on that side of the line to know it, and that's the time, once again, when we need the compassion. And we need to know it's not about, we just can't work with it. We don't even go there. It's a coping mechanism at that point. What are we going to do? It's too much. And for the hindrances, there's some antidotes we can look at then in those cases. Does that make sense, just the basic idea? Any other thoughts for now, questions? I'm going to hand out the homework in a minute but, and talk about it a little bit. Get the basic idea of these hindrances. And, yes? So the, the, the line that you mentioned that should help with the pain. So the hindrance is basically something we need when we get real close to the line. Yeah, I think that's a great way to think about it. And it gets back to you said it, and also what, what, what you were saying also is that some things come up, and it's actually not a hindrance. It technically, I guess, falls under this list, but in the moment, it's still coming up, but it isn't a hindrance. It's unpleasant, we don't like it, but we're not caught. Is it really being a hindrance then? But if it gets strong enough, it turns into a hindrance. The exact same thing, which was just... Some experience is now a hindrance because it's actually, we're hooked. And so all of these tend to hook us. And that's the exact reason why in Vipassana practice, sometimes the instructions are given about you know, working with, mindfully with the experience. And then sometimes we're given the instruction that every once in a while, instead of noticing the experience, notice the pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral quality. Because sometimes we don't see that we've got some aversion going or some clinging. And by noticing the pleasantness or unpleasantness, it can help us see, oh, I'm clinging some here, or I'm in aversion. Okay. So as I said, next week we'll 
Uh, I'm going to give out the homework. This one is about working with desire, greed, clinging. Um, let me hand it out, and we'll talk about it a little bit. And, you know, if you don't do the homework, nobody's going to know, but I would just... Uh So if you have aversion to doing the homework, notice that. That's what's, what's arising then? Ill will. It's just a hindrance arising. So we'll just, I mean, you can read it yourself, but I'll just kind of go through it. The whole idea is this one's going to work with, and I use the word desire, but it's, uh, mm-hmm. you notice the stack that came back here was thicker than the stack that of the first one that went out. That's interesting. So I just put down desire. I don't know the one single word. It's really, it's the clinging. It's when desire gets strong and we're really, the, 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 the grasping, the clinging for that pleasant there. So, you know, to notice when it arises. It, and then notice what was the object, what causes it. Was there some object we wanted? Some, like, you know, I said external objects such as a car or a person, whatever, food. Was it a certain sense experience? Did we want a certain taste or a certain touch? Was there a mental feeling, like I wanted to just feel whatever? Notice any stories. We just want to get to know this. We do, we do, we're actually... Um, want to come become very intimate with the experience. Don't pick the real strong ones. You could do that, but if you just get lost off in it, you might. So you can play with mild ones, play with strong ones. And actually try to notice. This one's kind of going to, we'll see what comes up for people around this. Notice what pulls you into the desire. There's something that's kind of stuck. What is that? We'll talk more. I don't want to say more. I've got some thoughts about the different kind of things that it could be, and you'll see for yourself what it actually is for you. But there's something that's got us hooked. Depending on the object, depending on what it is we want, there's a hook. Can you find that desire itself? Is it somewhere in the body? See, if we can learn to get freer around the desire, we don't flip over into the, the clinging and the craving. If the craving comes up, and you're actually feeling hooked, we'll use that interchangeably with the desire itself too, which is really a hindrance. Noticing the pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral quality itself. And then just to notice, how did you work with it? Did you mindfully notice it? Did you try to use some kind of antidote? Did you just give in to it? What happened? And I should have added on here then, how how'd you feel about it? You know, if you gave into it but think you should have worked with it mindfully, then do you create another suffering around your judgment about yourself, you know, just to notice all these things. And I guess the last thing what I should have done is, is just talk briefly since that one is on desire, craving, clinging, greed, grasping. See the antidote there on that one? Impermanence or, I love it when they say foulness. So an example would be, say, there's a person that's particularly interesting to you. Oh, that's kind of a weird example, but I guess maybe. Yeah, okay, that's a good example. Someone is interesting. You can notice when you're really attracted and everything. And so that's fine. And maybe you don't want to do this foulness game with that one. But... You could, if you wanted to do that as an experiment, say what happens when you think, for example, that, you know, if you just go like, 
here's just this bag of skin, right? You go one-eighth of the inch in, and it's just a gooky mess. It's a gooky. It would be just, you took that one-eighth inch off, and you would be repulsed. But wrap it up in a bag of skin, and, you know, so, and really look, dude, you know, what's, you can get it, we could go on and on, there's all these practices around foulness, right? And it's an antidote to the craving. All of a sudden, it's not so interesting anymore if you really kind of don't want to get into it too graphic because it's, it's gross. <laughs> okay. So, but anyway, that's an example. Or impermanence to really contemplate on, you know, um, oh, I really want to get this stereo. I'm going crazy. It's nothing wrong with wanting a stereo, but you're really, you know, suffering around it. And to notice that, you know, the impermanence maybe. It's not foulness wouldn't be so appropriate. But it's not going to ultimate. It's not going to last. So maybe you can work with that. You know, is this really going to give me the ultimate happiness? So there's stuff like that. So I hope we'll have some good discussions, and I also hope we'll have some. Maybe people might have some things. Some really. Um, I don't know if we'll get controversy around it, but but you know. But uh, and as I said, I'll bring some suttas next week. Hopefully, we'll have a little time to do that. But I don't want to eat up too much of the time. So. Any last? I'm done for tonight. Any last anything? Yes. I did an exercise similar to this uh, just before Christmas when I had two hours to kill in a shopping mall. And just the, the, the sights and the smells and the food and right. the people and all that. And it, it's a very interesting experience yeah. to, to watch the, the desires arise and then you watch them and go away. Right. I had thought maybe something to do. We're not going to do it, but work with it because there's an oven here. I thought I might get something like whatever, like chocolate chip cookies or I don't know, whatever. <laughs> Bake them, and then during the meditation, have fresh smells come up. And we can then, and then we could actually work with it. <laughs> or I had some ideas for the foulness uh, version one too, but. <laughs> um, so what I would, I, it's exactly nine o'clock now, and uh, we're going. What I'd like to do is, I'd like to take, I always think it's nice to end with a little loving kindness. So what I want to say is I'm going to make it very, very short, maybe literally a couple of minutes. So it'll be a little short. And if you need to leave, please just, you know, leave and don't, don't feel funny about it. And for those who want to stay for a couple of minutes. Um, and so to do this... Uh, you know, I would invite you to just find uh, whatever posture and really to be as comfortable as your body will allow, whatever that is. As comfortable as your body will allow. And then if you have been disconnected, if you've been more out in thinking and up in thoughts and out, your consciousness has been out, then to just bring it back in and connect using the body, connecting into the body. And just connect with your whole experience of the mind and the heart, emotions. And just whatever you find there, it could be restlessness. You could have some of the hindrances arising. Maybe you're in some aversion or you are happy or sleepy. Well, just whatever. Notice, I invite you to notice your relationship with that experience. And can you, can you just be present, not having to do anything, not having to change it, just allowing it, allowing yourself to just fully be, to fully express in its own way. It's, it's a practice of, of deep self-acceptance. It's an act of great uh, metta, of great loving kindness and compassion for ourselves, just to allow ourselves to be, whatever that is, without a judgment. And if you're not able to do that, then send a little loving kindness for that. The place that that just really isn't able to be with this. 
And then from that place of self-acceptance, just to start actively then sending some metta, some loving kindness towards yourself. And if you find it useful to use, you know, some of the phrases, you can use your own phrases or, you know, some of the simple traditional phrases that you hear all the time, such as um, just a simple wish, may I be happy. And, you know, may I be free from suffering. And then you can stay with that, or if you would like, you could then extend your awareness out to all the people here in the, in the meditation hall. And sending that same metta to everyone, just as I wish to be happy, may everyone here be happy. And just as I wish to be free from suffering, may everyone here be free from suffering. And then finally, for those who wish, um, to extend your awareness out, um, out into the community, out into the world, and sending that same metta um, in all directions, everywhere, encompassing all beings. May all beings everywhere be happy, and may all beings everywhere be free from suffering. And then to end with uh, this sh- short prayer from the Buddha, from his uh, Metta Sutta, his Discourse on Loving Kindness. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none, through anger or ill will, wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child. So, with a boundless heart, should one cherish all living beings. So, good night, and uh, I hope you have a good week. Just one more announcement. Um, Both our teacher and Thank you.